Welcome to At the Threshold, a podcast for ministry leaders during this new, unsettled season in the life of the church. We are your hosts, Ashley Alley Crawford and Shelley Petz. clergy in the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, which is comprised of approximately a thousand churches in the states of Kansas and Nebraska. Shelley works with Clergy Faith and Wellness with the Great Plains Conference. Ashley is the Clergy Recruitment and Development Coordinator, and we're sharing this from the Office of Clergy Excellence. Our focus here in At the Threshold is to host a conversation with and for clergy in order to describe what's happening, ask questions to help get us unstuck, and encourage the heart of pastors and leaders in this liminal time in which we find ourselves. Liminal may be a new word, but a new season calls for a new word. Liminal means a threshold from what we've always known to, well, we don't know just yet what life and ministry is becoming. Our goal here is to find a little light at the threshold. Well, we are so glad to have each of, of you all here, all of these, these Methodist pastors from the Great Plains. I'm Ashley Alley Crawford, and uh, also leading the conversation today is Reverend Shelley Pitts. And, and we know, I think we know most of you, um, and you know that we're both clergy here in the Great Plains, and we've been hosting a series of conversations on behalf of the Office of Clergy Excellence, just as a way to navigate this new liminal season together. Liminal, as you may know, is a word that means a threshold. It's equal parts uncertainty and possibility. So I don't know about you, but some days it feels like the uncertainty is definitely winning out at this time. In our first conversation, we spend a little bit of time describing some of the dynamics that we're all seeing. And then after we described some things, we asked some questions that are bubbling up for us. And then we gave pastors who joined us a chance to look into um, different places of possibility as a way to encourage our hearts. So we, we do that again today, but our topic specifically um, is the topic of mental health. Yes, and May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I have been very much aware during this month how many mental health issues and challenges clergy have been going through um, over the last couple of months. I have, in many of my conversations, just been aware that this is difficult for so many people on so many levels, because not only um, are individuals as clergy dealing with stuff, but your whole congregations, all of your ministry settings, people um, in your local communities, in your states, in around the world are having so much going on. It's hard to even process what is the next best step or next step to even take. And so I am so grateful that CN Emerton is here with us today to look at how we as clergy can address our own mental health um, and to know that if you or someone that you are caring for 
is going through a mental health challenge, you are not alone. And um, we are here to help support and walk through however we can to be um, best able to walk alongside you. Um, Sienne, I actually um, got to meet and work with her last fall at a retreat and my life was so blessed. She gathered with a group of clergy um, and it was like sitting at the feet of someone who was just caring for your soul for three days. And I thought, what a great opportunity for clergy to be able to meet with not only her, but also a spiritual director to say, um, let's name what is before us, because in the naming of it, we can be enriched and grow in our own opportunities um, for, for spiritual depth. And so she is a licensed mental health uh, practitioner, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and an independent mental health practitioner and a life skills coach. She's a lifelong United Methodist coming from uh, generations of Methodists. Um, and she even um, graduated from Nebraska Wesleyan University. And so she also has a deep passion for clergy and has worked with many clergy over the years. And so today we welcome you, Sian, and are grateful for your leadership with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a delight. And so to begin our conversation, we would like to um, just ask you a few questions. And we want to begin by asking you, Sian, what have you noticed about mental health challenges lately in general and in particular with clergy? Well, of course, uh, liminal time describes this well because it's a time of deep uncertainty. So in general, as we all know, everyone is dealing with uncertainty. And when I have the pleasure of working with people, um, they're all bringing that to the table, the stress of that. Um, I especially enjoy working with clergy though, because I believe um, the challenges are, well, I first of all, respect the work you all do. It's, it's good work, it's deep work, and it's hard, it's hard work under normal circumstances. And now it's even more challenging. Um, so the uncertainty that we, that's already part of the system with clergy is present, of course, but that can translate into um, how to best manage stress. And, and it can, basically we're talking about self-regulation, emotional self-regulation skills that everyone in general, but I think clergy especially have a challenge um, with uncertainty all around us. And now this is the time of moves for some clergy. Of course, that brings its own um, level of movement on, on what the next step will really look like. So it's managing um, the emotional self that, that goes with you. The one thing I've noticed about clergy, though, is that you all are really, you get lots of practice with adapting. <laughs> and so um, there's a lot of strengths. That's the other reason I love working with clergy. There's just tons of strengths that come with the territory because you get lots of practice. And uh, so now we want to really use those muscles of adaptability the best we can. So it's a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge in relationships. I work a lot with relationships. Um, people are spending more time together, which is good, and it brings challenges. And um, so it's how to communicate effectively and also how to be aware of one's own feelings when, they're, when you're in all this. Um, so those are some of the challenges in general that I see. 
Well, I think you're um, I think you're hitting on so many of the stresses and the pressures that are kind of particularly at work in this season, even apart from the the stuff going on with the pandemic. And I think sometimes um, while we hear a lot about self care, um, it um, and in theory we also we get it and we know it's important. Um, but but it's often hard to kind of give ourselves permission to do that um, in this moment. <laughs> we get it in general. We'll, we'll give ourselves generous permission on the whole. Um, but but when it comes down to this being the way that I invest in that that self care moment, it, it's hard to do that. So what what tips do you have uh, for us as as clergy to to invite ourselves into self care? Yes. Well, um, sometimes. Those of us in the helping professions, so that includes myself and counselors, as well as one thing I've noticed with clergy, it's uh, sometimes we're not so good about putting ourselves first. We're, we're in the professions, so we're trained to help others. And uh, we can often put others before our own needs. So the, the biggest tip is to remember to what I call put the oxygen mask on yourself first because we know what happens if we don't take care of ourselves. And uh, so that's actually, when we think of it from a theological standpoint, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, sometimes it's challenging to love ourselves and to feel worthy of taking care of ourselves. So it's giving self permission because to do God's work, we obviously have to take care of ourselves. And if we don't plug ourselves in to do that, it won't just happen. And, and with that, I wanted to share some of you I might have worked with before, and I usually share this. If you've seen this, this is a review, but it looks a little differently. And I think you'll put it up on the screen here. It's that depletion to renewal grid. Um, so if Heather can put that up for us, thank you. This is one visual to keep in mind to work with yourself. Uh, to put the oxygen mask on yourself, I should say, uh, because as humans, it's normal. Uh, we all go through stress. We all uh, experience what I call the left side of the grid here, which is the depleting emotion side. And um, these are just examples of common emotions we see when we're in that left side of the grid. But this depletes our energy. And really, self-care is about finding ways to renew our energy and be, and not let our, our battery drain completely dry. Now, sometimes we obviously can't control what goes on around us. Oftentimes we can't, but we need to learn an internal way of managing those feelings so that we don't stay stuck in the cortisol producing uh, side of that grid. Because of course we know that cortisol isn't good for our bodies. It's the stress response hormone. And so over time, it can wear down our, our bodies. And so we want to find a way to shift and reset to the right side of this grid, which is renewing emotions. And I always say that, um, you know, it's not feasible or realistic to always feel excitement, for instance. But I always suggest that the goal is to find a way that you can tap into contentment, fulfillment, and ease even by just a thought you might have or um, uh, think visualizing a place that renews you. There's, we're going to talk about some more of these techniques um, in a little bit. But the main idea for self-care is that being aware when you're on the left side of the grid is the key. 
and then saying, you know, I don't have choices on maybe what's going on outside of me, but I do have a choice on my mindset. And sometimes, you know, this is easier said than done. And no one's perfect at this. I'm certainly not perfect at this. Um, but we want to catch ourselves and then try to uh, really discover our own ways of shifting to the right side of the grid. Does that make sense? Or are there any questions about that? Oh, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It's it's a uh, you're talking about a shift of a mindset for sure. Um, but but it makes yes. A lot of sense. And the first thing is we have to know we need that shift. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes that's the hardest part. It's just recognizing it. Yes. Thank you so much. So, what wisdom would you offer to clergy about how to overcome obstacles to self care? Well, um, yeah. That's, that's a big question and one size doesn't fit all, but in general, it's really uh, having some self-compassion uh, so to help you feel worthy of actually taking care of yourself. Uh, a lot of times, my experience with clergy is that it's sometimes hard to uh, carve time out to, to actually take care of self. So the first thing is to prioritize, even mark it on a calendar, a certain thing, and maybe a lot of you do this already, uh, but starting your day, for instance, sometimes it doesn't take very long, but just to be very aware of, of a mindset, even before you get out of bed in the morning, thinking how you want to go through the day, having an intention for um, uh, experiencing some joy, having some, uh, an intention of, um, of connecting with God as you go through the day and just really prioritizing uh, whatever you need to do to, to start the day with some energy other than just a cup of coffee kind of thing. Any Great. questions about that or does that make sense? Yeah. If anybody has a question, feel free to tell, feel free to, to, uh, Raise your hand, um, but of course, but I got another question too. So I'll jump into mine, and then we'll we'll give uh, folks a chance to ask a question as well. But you've done a lot of work uh, about resiliency, and um, and so what can you tell us about the importance of resiliency and and um, building resiliency even in the midst of tr- of trauma? And this pandemic shift really is a trauma that we're kind of collectively experiencing. So. What can you tell us about um, how to build resiliency during this season? Right. Well, resiliency is key for everything, really, in terms of having energy. And so if we think of having energy, I want to reference this other handout we have, which is, I've named it, Keep the Power On. So we'll show that. And um, I... We all, well, I want to just basically invite you to think of your, your own inner home of well-being with this handout, um, because this goes with us wherever we go, our own internal self, obviously. And um, this can really help adaptability, and, which is a key part of resiliency. I entitled this Keep the Power On because that's all about plugging ourselves into our source, which is, take, which is 
for many of us, we're Christian, um, plugging ourselves into God's plan for us and keeping the channel open. And when people get overstressed, what I've noticed is that sometimes our channel gets a little cloudy, we unplug it. Um, and so we want, to man we want to be sure we are intentional with keeping our power on as the oxygen mask. That's really priority for everything to work together. And then our inner, our home of well-being has four rooms to it, I imagine, I visualize. Uh, we have spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental selves that we want to tend because this is the root of self-care, is really uh, practicing grace for ourselves, which is that part of compassion for ourselves. In other words, treating yourselves like you would treat your family or your best friend and, and tending to the needs in each of these areas. That will actually help you keep a strong foundation so that uh, so the winds of life don't blow you around so much. That's a core piece of resiliency is being able to bounce back. And when we can keep our energy renewed, we're able to bounce back better. And when we tend the needs in each of these areas of our lives, we it's like insurance. We're, we're, we're better able to weather the storms. I welcome any comments or questions about this. Are there any questions that anyone has at this time? And I also want to take that a bit deeper if there's no questions about I, I had one, but uh, I can't see anybody. I'm right here. Um, can you say a little bit more about emotional grace? Thank you. Um, yes, I'll try. Uh, emotional grace is, as I think of it, uh, when, so let's, Let's say you're beating, a common thing that happens to us is we have internal dialogue that goes on and often that can become negative. So we start uh, telling ourselves, maybe I'm not good enough. I should have done this. I should have done that. Um, I'm not deserving. Those are examples of common internal dialogue pieces we have. Emotional grace allows a pause where we, we say, wait a minute here. Um, Yes, I'm feeling this way, and it's showing empathy for yourself. It's like, of course I'm feeling this way. Anyone in my shoes would feel this way. It's really giving yourself grace. And a lot of us don't, it's not a practice we've learned. We have to, you know, we have to practice this to, for it to become a natural thing for us to do. Does that make sense, Guy? Yes, uh does that apply equally to male and female and regardless of age? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a big step. Um, I, I, as a process, I advise people to notice the emotion they're feeling first, to name that emotion, 
So if it's, uh, let's say we're feeling, um, we're feeling hurt or we're feeling disappointed in ourselves. So you just name that and you want to practice leaning into that. A lot of us want to avoid negative emotions, but that actually makes them grow. So we want to lean into what we're feeling negatively. And then the step, the second step is to really show ourselves grace, give ourselves grace. It's, it's God giving the grace really, but it's, it's receiving the grace God has for us, not judgment. And then the third step is invoking a quality you want to help you move forward, such as may I have patience, may I have strength, may I have forgiveness for myself. Um, that is a three-step, I call it a little minute manager technique. It's a three-step process that can really help us shift and reset on that grid. So to, that was to notice, to name, and then to invoke um, something to kind of move us maybe from the left side of that grid to the right side of the grid. It's to notice the name. That's all one step. Oh, that's all one. Okay. Yes. The second step is show empathy for yourself. What would you say to your best friend if your best friend came to you and said, I'm feeling this? It's that kind of thing. And, and so of saying to yourself, of course, you're feeling that way and talking to yourself with a soft, nurturing voice as if Christ would, would be talking with you and, and really absorbing that. Um, that in and of itself is the essence of, of self-compassion, which is loving yourself, which we're called to do. But none of us want to talk about that. It feels self-serving to say self-love, but that's the opposite. You know, that's how we love others is to love ourselves. So it's showing love to yourself and then in, invoking the quality you most want and feel you need. Okay, good. Very helpful. Thank you. I was also interested, if I may, about um, I believe that pastors also have trauma from uh, being in ministry. Yeah. And we also have uh, could have uh, multiple other kinds of traumas uh, in our life experiences. Absolutely. And it seems to me that um, they may compete at times. Uh, for the empathy, um, you know, I could notice the name four or five, sometimes all at the same time. Uh, and um, <clears throat> depending on how many things I have on my plate, and even though I'm semi-retired, I seem to keep busy too. And uh, so how do you separate those sometimes? Right. Very good question, and again, it's a it's it's uh, wonderful to recognize that there's separate kinds of uh, operative emotions going on. One way is to ask yourself what most needs my attention now, so setting a priority for it, and to also remember everyone has trauma. I'm I'm absolutely convinced of this, and the research is clear. We all bring, and now there's a lot of research that we even bring it from an early age, just because being human is hard. I mean, it's impossible. None of us have perfect parents, I hate to say. I mean, I loved my parents. They were really good and did it, you know, did the best they could. But I, you know, we all have issues. No one gets out of this without some level of needing to tend 
some trauma. And ministry brings a lot of challenges. So yes, um, you know, trauma happens. And so stopping and, and noticing is the key and naming again. And not being afraid of that shadow that comes with trauma. That's, that's the key to mental health is learning how to lean in with, with support. I mean, it's good to ask for support if you need that. Um, but, but the more we avoid the shadow, it, it catches up with us. And that makes resilience a lot more difficult. Do we have time Thank for- you. In the, I think, yeah, I think you're having a follow-up piece. Mm -hmm. I do, but I know we're, I'd like to show it if I could, because it, it might yeah. be moving forward with this discussion. Uh, so the part of positive mental health is really what renewing energy is all about. And so these are examples on this handout of what, what we want to focus on to have positive mental health, which is a core component of resilience. And it's also a core component of helping heal trauma. So watching for, um, for opportunities that bring us joy, we get a lot of bang for the buck when we have joy and gratitude, awe and contentment. Amusement to a lesser extent, but these other ones are really big producers of renewing energy. And so during COVID time, it's, it's been a little more challenging, and yet we're discovering simple pleasures sometimes that can bring us these, these qualities. So really finding ways to nurture this in that inner home of well-being. You want to find ways to nurture these emotions that are positive. Because optimal fun functioning, and some of you were probably at the Orders and Fellowship um, meeting in 2019 with uh, Ray Jean, and I don't know if you remember her book, Faithful and Fractured, but she talks about flourishing pastors. She did a lot of research with the United Methodist pastors. And these are some of the qualities that have been researched that uh, shows that you can help us flourish and be resilient. So these are clues for what you might wanna pay attention to with your inner home of well-being. Thank you so much for um, giving us that um, nugget to hold on to as we go into this next section. And hopefully that will um, allow us to jumpstart into a conversations together. We'd like to give you all a chance to respond and check in with one another. Um, we'll send you into small group um, breakouts sessions for about 10 minutes. And we're going to ask you um, to talk about some of the questions. They'll be put up in the chat box. So you'll have those as well. And you are welcome to share as deeply um, as you're willing or to take a pass from any question as you would like. Know that the breakout sessions will not be recorded. Um, it'll just be you who will be in the breakout session together. But the questions we'll invite you to consider together are, how is it with your soul? And how do you keep the power on? And how would your internal home of well-being look differently if you consciously and frequently invited grace into each of those rooms? So we'll be sending you to breakout rooms and invite you back in just a few minutes.
See, and as, as they go to break out, I, I'd love to, to go a little bit deeper with the renewing energy piece that we were just talking about, the, the positive mental health that um, you, you, you identify that emotions and mood um, are, um, are a, a significant part of this positive mental health. So um, joy, gratitude, awe, contentment, amusement. Now, um, I, I there's a Henry Nowen quote that I love about joy, and I'd love to hear how you um, how you speak how, how you can speak to this. But Henry Nowen says, "Joy does not simply happen to us; we have to choose it and keep choosing it every day." I think that what's so powerful to me about that idea um, is that oftentimes we sort of think that joy, um, like there's either joy either you are joyful or you're not. Um, and, and so I just want to hear how you, how you speak to that. Um, because I think it's a key part of this idea of, of positive mental health. How do you, how does it, how do you choose it? Um, when we sort of think that it really is just something that should happen to us. Right. So we have to have the intention of choosing it and realizing we have the power to choose it. And, and that all starts again with awareness so if you get up on the wrong side of the bed, for instance, first of all, it's, a, it's being aware that, oh, you know, I'm not feeling as like I really want to be feeling today. So then you, you need to watch for opportunities such as uh, you can take charge and, and like maybe go outside. Nature is a big way of connecting with joy. Looking up is a big way. Um, stargazing, uh, that can go into awe as well. But putting yourself in situations that are you're likely to experience joy. For instance, listening to too much news probably doesn't, that's not putting ourselves in a situation that we're likely to experience joy. So it's calling someone, if, no, if you're, it's tapping into, uh, you know, a relationship you have that you're likely to, you know, just put yourself in a situation that you can experience that. But then also having the ability and the discipline to internally shift. If you're, if you're in a situation that's just not very joyful, you can, you're still responsible for the thoughts in your own mind. And you're still responsible for what you're telling yourself. And one thing might be, this is temporary. I'm going to recall a time that gave me energy. I'm going to tap into how I felt at that time that I had that energy. That's, that's so good. It's, you're talking about sort of, um, yeah, taking responsibility for, um, we can't necessarily take responsibility for our circumstances. They do sort of happen to us, but the way we respond to all those circumstances exactly. um, it is within our power. So it good, thank our, you. It, it takes practice to become yes. a yes. <laughs> yeah. We're not always perfect at that. And that's having grace again for ourselves when we're not perfect at it. Right. But, but still to know that you have the power is, mm-hmm. is the key. And again, to keep yourself plugged in to the power source. I, I love that as you were talking about that also, um, the word awe catches my attention. And I'm curious in this season, if you have any, um, any wisdom about how we can explore that understanding of awe and as pastors um, uh, allow ourselves to find that in the midst of this season of our lives. Yes, thank you, Shelley. That's a good question. Um, yeah, uh, is it uh, you know an internal response to something much larger than ourselves? 
And yet, interestingly enough, when we create space through silence, um, through just listening to the still small voice within, that can set the stage for, for awe on an internal level. We can't all just go outside and get a boost of awe. But um, quieting, tending the soul by quieting and allowing pauses and taking time out from all the demands. And uh, for many people, life has gotten, uh, I mean, there's more to do sometimes when we're multitasking. Um, so it's, it's important to allow pauses. Does that help answer that? That's very helpful. Thank you. And I think that part of what um, this season has taught me um, is the both the power of silence um, as a as a healing and restorative kind of thing. I um, I don't know about you all, but I feel like something about this season I've begun to notice nature more significantly, and I don't um, I don't know necessarily why, um, except that I have been sort of intentionally practicing more silence because. Um, honestly, it just sort of, I need a little bit extra time to get ready for the day <laughs> because things feel so heavy. Um, yeah. you know, um, it just takes more like psychic energy to do lots of things now. I and agree. so, um, because of that, a byproduct has been, um, I've noticed the birds singing and clearly it's spring and all those kinds of things. But there's, I guess I'm saying, um, I'm, I'm beginning to like, you're helping me have a vocabulary for something I've experienced, um, which is the, is the beauty of what silence births. Yes. Thank you for putting that into words. That's right. Yes. And just allowing space for that. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Good. Well, oh, go ahead, Shelly. But if we had, I mean, I was, I just was wondering if you could speak a little bit more. Um, you mentioned about, um, not being afraid to lean into the shadow of what mm -hmm. is. Could you speak just a bit more about that? Because that's a captivating image for me. Sure. Um, so when we, um, when we notice uh, a negative emotion we carry, or let's say we're beating ourselves up for something that we, we know we could have done better on, um, it's really allowing reflection on that. Um, uh, it's nice actually to have a daily practice. I like to do this at the end of the day before I go to bed, allowing space for um, not, not over-focusing on it, but leaning into what can I learn from this? This does require uh, um, self-compassion practice because it's not about beating oneself up. It's about what can this teach me? And um, isn't this, it's looking at it through a lens of, isn't this good, this happened? Because now this is an opportunity for me to face some of that and to work through some of that. So instead of constricting or running away from, we want to lean in so we can learn from. And to grow, actually. Because if we avoid it, we don't, we miss that opportunity. And it comes out sideways behaviorally as well when we avoid those, the dark side, you know, the, the darker emotions or the shadow. It, 
uh, it catches up with us, but, um, you know, there's lots of ways of doing this. I, another way of doing it is, is uh, one of my favorite things to do is to journal dreams. And dreams are rich with some shadow material. And um, it's a, it's, it can be a nice practice for reflection. That's really helpful. And it goes along with something I just was hearing yesterday about someone offering the thought, if you, if you mention something, it's manageable. And it's, it's about that naming and allowing that space um, to, to then be able to, to deal with it. Um, and so thank you for helping us to lean in to that um, um, in making space for that. Sure. Thanks for asking about that in a deepened way. So can I um, can I broach a subject that that often um, I think is present when clergy are thinking about mental health? I think there's a stigma for for clergy somehow um, in um, engaging a mental health professional. What, what would you say to to clergy who who may feel somehow stigmatized um, by um, by by seeing a counselor or needing to see a counselor or something related to that? What would be your, your word to them? Yes. Well, it's, it's about, um, it's really a strength, um, to, to acknowledge that we're all human and all of us can benefit from another human being in relationship in a non-judgmental role. And sometimes a spiritual director can fulfill that. It doesn't have to always be a counselor, um, but it, the value of counseling is that it can be um, a relationship that, that you can really learn. For, it's a way of practicing self-love because it's, it's learning more. It's an opportunity to grow and learn. And um, it's what I believe God intends for us all is to just be experience unconditional love. And good counseling is unconditional love. And it's a, uh, a way to access that so that we can love ourselves better, so we can serve more, yeah. if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's just such a powerful, um, you know, a powerful reminder that, you know, ultimately, I think a lot of healing happens in mental health care, you know, um, and healing is um, guided by God. And, um, and that that as we we seek to, to do things, you know, um, seeking, seeking mental health care, whether it's short term or long term, either way, um, that, that they're that that we need to put the, the stigma, the shame aside um, and, and enter. Yes, exactly. yes. excuse me. And, and thank you for saying put, put the shame aside because it's actually, it's actually healthy. It's actually the ultimate self-care to say, all right. And in the EAP world, which the conference offers EAP, you don't even need a diagnosis. It's simply, you can be, it can be proactive and preventative and just, just to kind of touch base on, you know, this is something I'm thinking about, I'm wrestling with this, or this is an internal dialogue that keeps repeating in my mind. I need just some, some assistance, some new tools to help me shift and reset. It's, it's simply a, a tool available for people. On, if we think of the grid, it's a tool that can help us shift and reset, and it's only smart to take advantage of that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And this season might be an invitation for someone to, um, to, to enter into those, that sort of journey for, for healing, um, in this season of uncertainty with new stresses that maybe we haven't been able to name and maybe, a maybe that could help us. Um, yes. And give some tools to manage. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
Well, welcome back, everyone. We're glad um, to be together again. And we would like to give you a chance to engage with Sienna a bit. Wonder what are the questions that are bubbling up for you? And invite you to, to share your questions either by raising your hand or putting it in the participant box you'd like to raise your hand or, or if you have a question you'd like to type in the chat, we invite you to do so. And invite you, what are those things that are um, on your minds or hearts that you would like to um, have some time to ask um, Sienna while we have her with us? Can I go ahead? Uh, Sienna, it's so good to see you Please. again. It's been it's been a long time since I uh, did EQ stuff with you, but it's good to see you. Um, my question is about um, many of us are facing that you know our church members and even us will say things like we want to go back to normal, but normal wasn't good. By the way, the pace that we were living our lives, the the pace that even our church was living its life out and its mission and ministry, it was not healthy. And so, what is uh, some advice? <laughs> Um, as we as we enter into what could be actually a new possibility or new reality for our church and for our ministry, what advice would you give us um, in making that process a reality? Well, first of all, yes, good to see you as well, Cynthia. And, and it's it's really um, first of all, it's being very intentional about what you want to take with you from what you've experienced the gifts from COVID of all bizarre things. I mean, what, what do you want to be clear about taking forward? And then um, offering the conversation, I would, I would think it would be uh, optimal in a church if there's a way to have a conversation or a dialogue or just present that idea to, to uh, members in the church and committee members as well. Um, what, how can we create spaces for what we have learned we valued from, you know, the, the, um, the, the silver lining that we experienced through this away, this sequestered time. So it's, it's really about being aware of what you want to carry forward and then, and then talking about that and, and being conscious about allowing space for it. And that means we can't do everything. Something's got to give. I mean, things will look different. And things might be better than they've ever been as a result of all this. New processes might be streamlined. There might be new, well, who knows? It's really opportunity, though. I'm, I'm glad you bring this up because it's rich opportunity to, to create new, a new normal. Any other questions anybody has or comments or comments from your small group? Um, I don't have anything to really say about the group because I consider that confidentiality myself. Um, there were a lot of things that were um, that I observed about the group and um, getting to know people that I didn't know, and that was helpful. My biggest um, 
concern is since I'm in the high risk category, um, I have a lot of anxiety about when is the right time for me personally to be able to go back. And since uh, I know I was trained in nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare at the chemical school in Anniston, Alabama. And so I know a little bit about some of this stuff and uh, how, and then it's um, a chemistry major in college, I did some uh, work with a microbiologist from Athens, Greece. So my chemistry kind of kicks in there at times and I go, I know this thing is going to morph and it's going to mutate and I, I, and I really don't want to quit yet. I'd like to go another year. And then I'd be 73, and I think that's a good time for me. But um, that's my biggest anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's balancing um, calculated risks and, and how, and, you know, only you can really answer that. Um, it's, it's how it's, you want to emotionally self-regulate well enough that you can discern. Uh, we all do better discernment when we manage our stress uh, as, as optimally as we can. And I was just uh, visiting with Shelly and Ashley a little bit about the value of the EAP that the conference office uh, or that the conference offers which I love. I'm on the panel and so I love working with clergy when I get them. But there's tons of people on the panel for this EAP, which is New Directions. In both Kansas and Nebraska, there's lots of providers. We're all doing telehealth. That's a good thing to use your EAP for, is someone to bounce those kinds of concerns off of and have dialogue and conversation. And that's just such a wonderful gift you all have. You don't even have to have a diagnosis at all. It's, it's, it's a sign of strength to access that if, as, a, as one tool to help you talk that through because there's a lot to consider um, in moving forward here with those calculated risks. We have a hand raised, Phil Sloat. Do you wanna? Um... Oh, and we have a kitty. Hmm. And we do, <laughs> he's got a friend. <laughs> All right, anyway, I was trying to unmute. Um, our small group was interesting because at least there were at least two pets that joined the, the small group conversation. And so I had to go find my pet. And this is Shadow. And I just think that cats and dogs have been very healing and comforting and uh, a good source of emotional uh, centering and, and self-care for a lot of us during this time. So, okay. Thank you. That's a great point. I'm glad we got to meet Shadow. That's right. That, that's a great, uh, normally I would have my, uh, my little buddy, my little Shih Tzu right next door, but he happens to not be here right now. So <laughs> I agree. Well, Sian, I want to ask, um, kind of as we're, we're nearing a little bit the end of our time together today, um, what final encouragement do you have for, for clergy uh, who are listening to this today, who are joining us? Well, um, the biggest thing is to, is to really check in with and asking yourself, how is it with my soul? And I guess that's the key. Wasn't John Wesley just brilliant? I mean, that's such a great question because uh, it's all about taking care of that internal home of well-being 
which is your, your temple. And that's how we all serve God is by tending that internal home of well-being. And now more than ever, you all are needed. Um, you're always needed. But um, we're not out of the woods and this stressor is going to be around a while. And so we have an ultimate challenge to manage ourselves, to take care of ourselves, um, to love ourselves so that we have enough energy to give others. So that's my challenge is just to ask yourself, how is it with my soul and what does my soul most need? And then to really prioritize that um, within reason. I mean, yes, we all have responsibility, but it doesn't take long to just plug yourself in. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you so much. Well, um, one of the things that, that we have sought to do in these conversations is to do three things. One, to kind of describe a situation, uh, just describe this new situation that we find ourselves in, uh, to maybe ask some questions that come from it, and then to encourage. And it, it occurred to me, um, as I was thinking about that, that the, the, the trajectory that you sort of shared with us earlier about notice and naming um, uh, leaning into it and, and being um, cultivating empathy and then also um, invoking a quality to move into in the future is is that same sort of movement. Um, and so uh, I just want to I just want to say um, to you that that I'm personally grateful. And I, and I think that there's been um, I think you've shared some some real tangible tools for us about this idea of keeping the power on. Um, and sort of being able to, to sort of name some of the, the, the places, the challenges, the fears, maybe the negative side of that grid to be able to move into the, to the, to the positive cycle and, and renew that energy source through, through connecting in with the work that, that is happening in our souls right now. So thank you. You've encouraged my heart for sure. Um, and I'm grateful. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. It's been wonderful to be with you all. I've enjoyed every second of it. Good. I had my appreciation as well. Um, and also an invitation for all of you to join in our next conversation, which will be next uh, in two weeks on Thursday, June 4th at 1030 in the morning, where we'll have a clergy panel talking about new ministry skills that they have explored and are already just exploring further during the season. You're all welcome to join and participate in that. We also just want to let you know that each of these um, conversations will be available on a podcast form um, at greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. So if you want to catch up on anything that you missed um, on any of these, especially today, I was um, delighted by the conversation in the breakout room that um, CN and Ashley and I had, and that one is recorded um, for your um, further listening. If you want to do that when it comes back on, um, CN added some continual uh, information about um, that sometimes it, we um, have a stigma about getting help regarding mental health. And so there were some great tips and ideas that she had on that and welcome your review of that if you want to as well. But just know that um, also Ashley and I are available for conversation at any point. If you want to have a personal uh, conversation or just a question, we are here to be conversation partners with you. And we're grateful for you, that you are here today. We will share the graphics um, that, that, that Sian shared with us. They'll be on that podcast page as well. So greatplainsumc.org slash podcast. You can find, find all those things there and, and kind of work with them a little bit more.
Well, as we close our time together today, um, I want to close with with a reading of a, 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 in some ways it's it's a poem by Sister Carol Blelock. Um, Maybe you've, or Blelock, sorry. Um, Maybe you've heard of her before. Uh, She's a a Catholic sister, member of the Society of the Sacred Heart. And this reading that I'm going to give is used as the opening to Richard Rohr's book, Breathing Underwater. And so I just want to invite you to to listen to this, this closing here today. I built my house by the sea, not on the sands, mind you, not on the shifting sand. And I built it of rock, a strong house by a strong sea. And we got it well acquainted, the sea and I, good neighbors. Not that we spoke much. We met in silences, respectful, keeping our distance, but looking our thoughts across the fence of sand. Always the fence of sand, our barrier. Always the sand between. Then one day, and I still don't know how it happened, the sea came without warning, without welcome even, not sudden and swift, but a shifting across the sand like wine, less like the flow of water than the flow of blood. Slow, but coming. Slow, but flowing like an open wound. And I thought of flight, and I thought of drowning, and I thought of death. And while I thought, the sea crept higher till it reached my door. And I knew then there was neither flight, nor death, nor drowning. That when the sea comes calling, you stop being neighbors, and you give your house for a coral castle, and you learn to breathe underwater. This is a season of learning to breathe underwater, a season where the sea came upon us, <laughs> whether we wanted it or not. Uh, we thought we had some nice barriers built um, and good plans and a good rhythm and a good routine. But even as Cindy said earlier, um, sometimes uh, it's a little distance that allows us to look back and see um, that perhaps um, we there is a new normal we'd like to help build and create. And so. We hope um, that that these kinds of conversations and that the work that you are are doing in this season, um, whether you want to or not, um, we do hope that this work is is a, a, a oxygen mask kind of work that allows you to give uh, to breathe in um, the air yourself and, and be able to then offer it to others. So thank you for joining us in this conversation today. We're the three of us are going to stay stay on for a little bit longer. So if you'd like to talk more individually, we'd love to offer that. Um, and on the whole, we would we hope that you are able to find some light here at the threshold. joining us for our first conversation in this series about ministry in liminal time. You can find links to join future conversations at greatplainsumc.org slash clergy resources or listen to them as a podcast at greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. This is a challenging season full of confusion and uncertainty and we want to shed a little light to help you discern the way through. 
thank you for joining us at The Threshold.